authority that went around by allowing her out and she kindly consented to put it off. I'm going to speak on the subject of prophecy. Rather daring. <laughs> uh, I mean, what we find happening in the charismatic renewal, or one of the things we find happening in the charismatic renewal, is that certain gifts which have become rather rare in the church are becoming more common. Gifts like the gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. You know, we're finding this is, they're coming into play, being used more and more in ordinary prayer groups, in ordinary local situations. No longer something for, reserved for a few special people, but in fact something fairly common. And I think probably of the gifts I've mentioned, prophecy is the most difficult. There are many prayer groups who are aware of its difficulty, have practically no prophecy in them at all. On the other hand, in the opposite extreme, you can have prayer groups or churches which have gone overboard on prophecy. And all sorts of people are prophesying all sorts of rubbish all the time. And uh, so it's, a, it's in a way, it's probably, I mean, it's a more difficult gift, I think, to regulate than the gifts of tongues, more difficult than the, the gifts of healing. But you know, I believe that it's very important that God is renewing this gift in his church and is wanting to do so more and more. Now I want to give you a, a recent example of a striking prophecy which led to serious practical results. I had the good fortune last summer and this summer to visit a monastery of ours in New Mexico, the United States, where at the monastery at Pecos, where all the monks and all the sisters are involved in the charismatic renewal. And they run twice a year a school for spiritual directors, which, and that course is one month, one year, and two weeks the following year. And we were over 50 on the course, and one of my fellow students was a bishop. And there are many people from many countries applying, you know, who can't be accepted because they can only take just over 50. Now, I don't know how much you know, I'm a Benedictine, I don't know how much you know about the Benedictine order, but there are different congregations in the Benedictine order, different families, like the French congregation, the English congregation, the Cassanese, the Sabiaco, the Olivetan, and others. I'm a Benedictine of the congregation of Our Lady of Mount Olivet, the Olivetan congregation. And this monastery in Pecos was a member of an American congregation, and two years ago, nearly, they changed over and joined our congregation, the Olivetan congregation. And this has had good practical results for them. I won't go into details, there's no reason to. But it has been important for their development. Now, how did this change come about? There was a young monk, a well-educated man, I spent quite a number of hours talking to him, who had a sort of dream vision one night, and in it he saw a figure in white, uh, in fact standing somewhat off the ground, um, and he, he was given the name of this person, Blessed Bernard Ptolemy, and he was given the date of the year he died in the 15th century, and he was told that he was the founder of the Olivetan congregation, and in this dream, Blessed Bernard, in this vision, Blessed Bernard said that the, you know, that monastery was to, you know, come to his congregation and he would have been watching over them. Now that young monk had never heard of the name of Blessed Bernard Ptolemy. 
He didn't know there, were an, there was an Olivetan congregation of Benedictines. He didn't know there were any Benedictines in white, which we are. He then had another vision, rather supporting that, in the chapel one day at Mass, and then a third when he woke up one night and saw Blessed Ern at the end of his bed. Same sort of encouraging vision that they had to transfer. And this led to them making practical inquiries, and this led to their transfer two years ago to our congregation. I was a president of the chapter general in which they were unanimously received. And this has, in their opinion, and I think rightly so, been an important step forward in their work. Now there you see a big thing of important, important practical significance taking place through prophecy and visions and dreams. However, it's not always like that in all our prayer groups, is it? But I'm sure God does want his people to be more and more led by the gift of prophecy. And certainly in that monastery in Pecos, I mean, they're led very considerably, and in many ways, and in striking ways, they are led by the gift of prophecy. And it's a very flourishing spiritual center. Having said that, let's come to the scriptural side. I mean, the great prophet is Jesus. Jesus is the greatest prophet, of course, of all time. And the Old Testament prophets, culminating in St. John the Baptist, prepared the way for him, didn't they? And then, in the New Testament itself, we read about prophets and prophecy. And incidentally, I'm using the word prophecy in a large sense in this talk, including things like words of knowledge, visions, locutions, messages in tongues, revelations. I'm using it in that large sense, which Bruce Yockham does in his book on called prophecy. I recommend that book. It's uh, by a Catholic author, if anyone wants to read about the subject. And for anybody who doesn't know what a word of knowledge is, it's the word of knowledge is the name we often give when God shows someone something particular about a particular person or situation like, for instance, that God is healing somebody at this moment, or that God wants a particular person to do something, or that God has a particular message. It's the sort of, it's the sort of revelation we normally employ about things connected perhaps with you know, one person or a small number. Now I'm going to start reading, I hope you'll excuse me, I'm going to read quite a bit of the New Testament now. And I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there we see that, you know, uh, I'm just reminding you, I think it's good to sort of get back to Scripture itself and to remind ourselves what the Scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So there we are, we see that it was a group of people who came after the apostles, that was their sort of place in importance, and uh, they were sort of a group of people recognized as having a regular prophetic ministry called prophets. 
And we find a reference to them again in Ephesians chapter 4, this group of people who are prophets. And clearly, not everybody is a prophet in that sense. For St. Paul says, are all prophets? It understood the answer being no. Now I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, reading the first few verses, 1 to 5. Make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, and even more to prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, the first point I want you to notice about this passage, compared with the previous one, is that here it suggests you know, that all can prophesy. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So, St. Paul wanted them all to prophesy. And yet, two chapters previously, not everybody's a prophet. And I think the best understanding of, of this is this, that some people have a regular ministry of prophecy in the church. Whereas anybody, and we see that again later in this chapter, may be a qualificational prophecy. It's the same with the ministry of healing. Some people have a regular ministry of healing. But any Christian may be used at a particular time to heal someone through prayer in the name of Jesus. So I think that, so we need to make this distinction. Some people have a clear, ongoing, recognized ministry of prophecy in the church, but all of us may at times be given you know, some word, some way, form of prophecy. And note verse 3. On the, one, on the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And that's what most prophecy is probably, that builds, encourages, and consoles. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that prophecy is normally or always foretelling the future. It is sometimes foretelling the future, but it isn't normally foretelling the future. It's normally sort of helping to build up the Christian community through exhortation, encouragement, and consolation. Now then I'm going to read chapter 14, again, verses 26 to 33. What then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that you all may learn and be all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subjects to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
Now there are various things to notice here. You, for you can all prophesy one by one. So that again, he's talking about occasional prophecy, which is open to any Christian. And then we see that some prophecy is a revelation. If a revelation is made to, is to another sitting by, let the first be silent. So as you see, there's the prophecy which is edification, consolation, that building. But then sometimes there can be a special revelation given in prophecy. And that, that would be something you know, which is not known by ordinary human means and may or may not be a thing concerning the future. And we notice here, for the, for the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, you see, that's an important thing. Uh, it isn't as if somebody is overcome by the spirit and just therefore has to prophesy and nobody can say anything. It's a gift which people can and have to control. Nobody, said the, nobody can say, the spirit of God's come upon me and I can't resist it. The spirits of the prophets are subjects to the prophets. Uh, that's very important to stop sort of disorganized displays, isn't it? You know, somebody else might say, the spirit of God's come upon me and I can just say anything and nobody can interfere and that's it, you see. Well, uh, the subject, the spirits of prophets are subjects of the prophets. And anybody, that we can be a, a verse necessary to remind someone who's getting a bit out of hand. And then, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 39 to 40. I hope you're not getting too sleepy, but we're coming to the end of these. So, my brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So, my brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy. Well, perhaps when you received your catechetical instruction, you, nobody actually suggested that you should earnestly desire to prophesy. But you see, we would have often considered it a sort of presumption, conceit, spiritual pride. But that's not certainly how St. Paul saw it. You know, because it was a good gift. And it's just as at the beginning of the chapter, you know, seek, make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, if we may desire a gift, and if it's, uh, then we could also pray for it. We should pray for gifts of prophecy. We can include him, we can pray for a gift of prophecy for ourselves, but we shouldn't do that lightly, and we shouldn't only pray for these gifts for ourselves. And there's a reminder that all things should be done decently and in order. And it's very easy for prophecy to get out of order. And that's why, uh, maybe that's one reason why it's tended to die out, because people, you know, there can be examples of things going wrong, and so people say, well, look, the only way is just to, to sit on that altogether. Well, we shouldn't do that. I think we've got to keep a balance between encouraging prophecy in our prayer meetings, and I think later in our parishes and in the church in general, encouraging prophecy, seeking it and praying for it, and yet uh, seeing that things are done decently and in order. Now, I want to turn to the Acts of the Apostles. First of all, chapter 11, verses 20, verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, 
stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. And the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And now I'd like to, like to read from Acts 13, verses 1 to 5. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, many and a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And finally, chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. This is Paul and, uh, Paul and, his, and Barnabas. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of God did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing, beseeching him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, we see certain things here about the early church. The early church was clearly very much led by prophecy and visions and things of that kind. I mean, obviously the conversion of St. Paul took place in that way. But you see, there was the foretelling, for instance, of the famine. And you know, that led to practical results. They took a collection. They did something about it. God helped to forewarn the Christian community. And if you remember, historians tell us too that I mean, Jesus prophesied there would be the destruction of Jerusalem. And the Christian community, remembering that prophecy, left Jerusalem before Jerusalem was destroyed. So the, through prophecy, the Christian community left Jerusalem and were saved. And everyone else in Jerusalem apparently was killed, or more or less everyone. And then we see you know, how God guided things. Uh, you see, Paul and Barnabas were happily you know, involved in the leadership of that great center of Christianity, Antioch. And the Holy Spirit suddenly said, separate those two and send them out. And thanks to that, we're Christians. <laughs> That's to say, I mean, God used that, you know, the, you know, the mission to Europe, the expanding of the gospel. They were led by prophecy. They didn't sit around and say, well, you know, we ought to do something about sending it. Let's look at a map and... What about that sort of place or this? I'm not saying people should never do that. But God just took hold of them and said, send those two out, and they were obedient and went. And then, you see, when they were on the journey itself, the Lord said, don't speak the word there. Don't go to that place. And then they have a vision of a man from Macedonia, and they cross over to Europe. First preaching of the gospel in Europe. So you see, they were led by prophecy. And there are numerous other occasions in the, in the New Testament where you know, we can see that the early, St. Paul in his journey is being led by prophecy, other people having a prophecy that he would be imprisoned, 
And then when he was on his way as a prisoner to Rome, you know, so what was going to happen, that the lives of everybody would be saved, and the soldiers weren't to let the sailors get away with the boat, and so on. They were led by prophecy frequently. Having said that, of course, we also come across, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, false prophets. It would be much simpler if there was just two proof prophecy or no prophecy. But there's the problem of false prophecy. So I think one can distinguish, we should think of our prayer groups, we need to distinguish between three things. True prophecy, which is not necessarily always perfect, but is basically true. Non-prophecy and false prophecy. Now just a word about those. Well, true prophecy, that means to say prophecy which is you know, basically of God, it may be mixed up with some things which are a bit too much of the person, but it's something basically of God. It may be a word of encouragement, it may be a word of instruction, it may be something about the future, but it's more often a word of encouragement, consolation, word of edification. And then there's non-prophecy. Non-prophecy. What is non-prophecy? We get a quite a lot of that, I think, in many prayer groups. Non-prophecy is when somebody says something, the contents of which are true, and gives it out as prophecy, the contents of which are true, but nevertheless it was not God's word to that group at that moment. Much more likely to be the pious imaginations and enthusiasm of the person in question. You see, supposing somebody prophesies a prayer group, God wants you all to have greater love for each other. And he's telling you that. Well, that's always true. It's true for every Christian group. So it's not false. But it may not be at all God's word to that group at that moment. It may just be the pious imagination and reflections of the person. Indeed, it might get in the way of that group hearing God's word, because in fact God has something else to say to that group, and they've got sidetracked on something which is true, but not what God was want to leaving, leaving them on at that moment. Now, I think we get quite a lot of non-prophecy in some prayer groups. And whether sometimes it's non-prophecy or true prophecy, they're sort of uh, not always easy to tell. Now, the danger of non-prophecy can be that it sort of debases the value of true prophecy and can sort of prevent the group or the person from listening to that, what God really wants to say. And so we do, we need, as far as we can, we need to try to, so to speak, root out non-prophecy in our prayer groups. And the last thing is false prophecy. Now what is false prophecy? Well, if it's a predictive prophecy, if it doesn't happen. If I prophesy that the world's going to come to, to end tomorrow, you'll know in two days' time that it was false prophecy. Or it might, if it's something which is against the teaching of the Bible and the Church. That'll be a sign again that it's false prophecy, the clear teaching of the Bible and the Church. So when somebody gives a prophecy, one has to, needs to check that against the, you know, the Bible and the, tradi the traditional teaching of the Church. Now there's another thing I want to say. There's, well, there's one lot of distinctions. True prophecy, basically true prophecy, that's to say, because St. Paul also says our prophecy is imperfect in 1 Corinthians 13. And then non-prophecy and false prophecy. Now, another division is this. People can know things which they don't know through ordinary human means, through the Holy Spirit, or through the human mind, 
telepathy, ESP, extrasensory perception, psychic gifts. That's the second lot. Or third, the devil. Now, the Holy Spirit, I think that's, well, that's obviously the realm of true prophecy, when we know things through the Holy Spirit which we couldn't have otherwise known. And as I say, a true word of knowledge, something of that kind. But I think people can also know things through a purely human telepathic gift. You know, ex experiments have shown that we all have, to some extent, telepathic gifts. Some people from much more, some people less, but it, something of a telepathic gift is normal for human beings. And that being so, you know, and some people are particularly gifted there, sometimes we say, well, somebody's a particularly psychic person. Now, I think a very important thing to say is that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's of the devil. And I think where some Christians have gone wrong is unless a thing is Unless something of that kind is explicitly of the Holy Spirit, they say it must be of the devil. No. It could be just part of the natural faculty of people. Somebody just might be a rather telepath telepathic, psychic person. And so if somebody is a bit like that, what have they got to do with it? Well, just offer that natural gift to God. Offer the natural gift to God. Not a matter of renouncing Satan and casting out Satan for a purely natural telepathic gift. You know, I had an aunt, she was a wife of a vicar, Anglican vicar, and she was a bit psychic in a way. Now once when she and her husband and my own father and mother were on holiday in, a, in Scotland in a car, and her husband was driving, and they were just going round a road, round the, the corner of a cliff, and she just suddenly said to him, slow down, slow down, slow down. Now, he wasn't driving too fast, and what he was doing was quite reasonable, but he did slow down, because she said so. And a young fool on a motorbike without brakes came shooting round the corner. Well, he did hit them, but it would have been far worse if, if they hadn't closed, shut down. Now, there I think that was the Holy Spirit using her gifts. On another occasion, however, with my aunt, who was in no way a betting woman, no way special interested in horse racing, she suddenly knew, in that sort of way, that the local grandees' horse would win the Grand National, which it did. She didn't bet, she wasn't a betting person, she made no use of it, she just knew it. Now, there's no reason to believe that was of the Holy Spirit, but there's no reason to believe that was of the devil. It's just a psychic gift, a telepathic knowledge, if you like. But I, I do want to say that, because you do get, I think there's a certain difference. Some of our, our, our brethren in the renewal on the very fundamentalist side, I think they tend to go very, say very quickly, well, if it's not clearly of the Holy Spirit, it must be of the devil. And I think that's a mistake. And I think it's very important not to go around telling people that things are of the devil when they're not. However, of course, we have to recognize when things are of the devil. You know, we need to be aware that certain things are not right. But having said that, we shouldn't, we shouldn't exaggerate, you know, what is the realm of the devil. There can be a purely natural telepathic gift which is not of the devil, and is not especially of the Holy Spirit either. Now obviously, you know, having talked about these different divisions of true prophecy, non-prophecy, and false prophecy, or different ways of knowing things, the Holy Spirit, the human mind, or the enemy, obviously in this whole field of prophecy, we greatly need discernment. We greatly need discernment. Because otherwise, all is chaos. 
And I'd, I'd quote from St. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, but test everything, hold fast what is good. We have to test everything. And the gift of discernment is one of the gifts of the Spirit. St. Paul lists it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To another, he's talking about the gifts, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And it's a gift we need, and it's a gift we need to pray for. Now, one important rule about the discernment of prophecy is that the discernment of our gifts, prophecy or others, does not depend on ourselves. It is not us to discern our own gifts. Somebody might feel in a prayer meeting that they're called to prophesy something. Well, they should test it and so on, but there may come a moment when they feel called to give it out and do give it out. But when they've done that, they are not the discerner of what they've said. That less, that less with the Christian community normally through its leaders. It could be the leaders of the prayer group. In some cases, it could be the leaders of the parish. Now, certain things to help us in this discernment of prophecy, and one is the life of the prophet. And you see, if the life of this prophet isn't spiritually and morally and mentally sound, well then, that makes him an unsuitable vehicle to be God's messenger to a group. Say if somebody's having extramarital affairs, or well, he's not a suitable person to be a prophet for the group. If somebody is mentally unbalanced, he's not a suitable person to be you know, a prophet for the group. I can remember, you know, we've, we've, we've sometimes had prophecies, some of a long memory in this. Now I think we're quicker on the ball than we used to be. I remember years ago, a Friday night, there was one man... He's a nice man, and you know, he began prophesying a bit too much. Then he went into a psychiatric hospital for six months, and he came out, and then next week he started prophesying again. Well, it's not serious. He's not a suitable person to be a prophet for the group. In fact, we got on to, we got on to that, but not quite as quickly as we should the first time. Then there's the other test. Is the prophecy in accordance with the Bible and Christian tradition, as I mentioned? And, of course, if it's a predictive prophecy, is it realized, or still open to realization? Now, for these other prophecies, of encouragement, upbuilding, edifying, um, we have to ask ourselves, does the... open to realization? Now, for these other prophecies, of encouragement, upbuilding, edifying, um, we have to ask ourselves, does the, did this prophecy, or do these prophecies, upbuild, deepen, strengthen? Is it fruitful? And it can be sometimes difficult to judge on one prophecy alone. But God does give a different discernment there. You know, sometimes it's not a matter of the sort of fluency. You know, you can have somebody giving very fluent and very sort of educated prophecies and word perfect and theologically all rounded and all fine, it can be hollow. And you can have someone else who stammers away and sort of uses not the happiest words, and, but in fact, it's the real thing. I can remember once being at a big fountain trust meeting and, uh, and somebody gave a terrific prophecy, you know, all word perfect and everything like that, and we just knew 
bogus. And someone else at the same meeting interpreted the tang and it was stuttering and it was difficult and it was limping, you know, humanly. But one felt, that's it. That's God's word. You know, God gives a gift of discernment, especially to the leadership. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, and if you've got someone in a prayer group who prophesies often, you have to ask, well, is this person's prophecy really, in fact, building up, the, building up things up? Does it deepen our life of prayer? Does it deepen the prayer meetings? We've all been to prayer meetings, haven't we? And somebody suddenly came out with a prophecy and the whole prayer meeting was that much deeper spiritually. And we've all been to prayer meetings when somebody gave out a prophecy, probably a non-prophecy, and it was just a sort of excursion, which a distraction. So the leader, well, the group, particularly through its leaders, has to ask, did that prophecy help the meeting? Did it really help us to be deeper? better Christians, help our life of prayer. Is it fruitful? Is somebody's prophecy in fact fruitful? Now, another, another thing to mention is here that what we find is that very often God confirms prophecy. And so we need to, one of the ways which can help us to test, are there confirmations? And don't we find that pretty often, you know, one person is beginning to feel that God's saying something and somebody else says it at that moment. And then they say quite rightly, they should say, you know, I confirm that. And sometimes for two or three people, or more even, God will sort of lead them all on the same line, independently of each other. Might be with the same passage of scripture. So we should seek for confirmations because God normally confirms. And that's particularly important if sort of, well, big practical things involved. And there can be, there is a problem in prayer groups of unknown prophets. You see, if somebody comes into a prayer group and you don't know who, he, or David and you, and you don't know the person, and then they get up and say, God is saying this, and a long thing, it creates a problem. For instance, you know nothing about their life, the first criterion. You know nothing about their life. And, uh, you know, it can be difficult. And I know in a main Pentecostal church in London, one of the pastors, one of the pastors of that church said to me once, we sometimes give out a notice, we would ask people we don't know not to prophesy because we're not in a position to discern, to judge their prophecies. And I think that can be right. And that's why, for instance, in the, in the day of renewal now in Houston, the big day of renewal, with a lot of people, you know, we don't throw prophecy open to everybody. We don't ask everybody to prophesy. You know, we, we, we leave it to, you know, to people we know. Because otherwise, there can be a real problem there. And you see, the leaders of a prayer group have the duty not only of encouraging true prophecy, but also of protecting people from false prophecies. And that, that can be particularly important in some things like words of knowledge and messages. messages. In general, if, a pro if you're not quite happy with a prophecy, it's in general better to let it pass and say something afterwards. It's normally kinder and less disruptive to do that. But sometimes you have to stop someone on the spot. I remember once Mike Grinnell, who should be speaking today, he was leading the, the day of renewal prayer meeting, and uh, a young coloured lady suddenly started saying that God was not pleased with the, them because some of the women were not wearing hats. Well, you see, that was very much, she obviously belonged to a sort of strict fundamentalist Pentecostal church, and that was their tradition. 
And so she thought God couldn't be happy because women weren't wearing hats, you see. And Mike Grinnell just said, right in the middle of her prophecy, he said, excuse me, sister, I don't think this, is, think this is the right place for that prophecy. He was quite right. And, uh, but normally it's, it's, better, it's, it's happier to let it go and say something after, less disruptive and kinder to the person. But where necessary, I can also remember a big fountain trust uh, meeting, in which somebody gave a message in tongues, which I think was probably true, and then somebody got up in the balcony, said he was from Western Australia, I'm not quite sure that, what, what, was, that, what that had to do with it, and he said, God is not pleased with you, for two reasons, because some of the women present are wearing trousers and because you're flirting with Roman Catholics. <laughs> and uh, the leader of the meeting said, immediately told him to sit down, and he wouldn't, so they all sang a hymn and some people kindly ushered him to the door. Well, things like that you need to sort of sit down. I happened to be sitting next to a Roman Catholic woman in trousers. <laughs> now, an important thing about the, the gifts and ministry of prophecy is but like every other gift, we need humility. And like every other gift, it needs to be exercised under submission. That means to say we need the humility to accept the discernment of the leaders of the group. They say, if we think you're off beam, would you stop prophesying? You have to accept it. Or if they say, we think last, last week, you know, part of your prophecy was right, but part of it was just you. There needs to be humility. And if somebody's not willing to accept it, oh, I get it from God, I've got a, you know, I've got a, a direct line to God, hot line to God, you know, that's between me and God, and I have a right to say it. That sort of person is very dangerous. Very dangerous indeed. Very dangerous indeed. If people are not willing to submit, if they're not humble, then they shouldn't be exercising this gift or any gift. Now, the gift of prophecy, like every other gift, needs to grow. People don't start with a perfect gift of prophecy. And, you know, it's not just a matter of black and white. It'd be much simpler if it were black and white. You know, if you could just say, look, that's rubbish, stop. Never do it again. And that's all fine. But very often there are varying degrees of grey. And that makes it, uh, that makes it more difficult. And the elements of self mixed up with the prophecy. And, you know, authentic elements mixed up with elements, things which are not so authentic. And one needs prophecy teams. It's good if people who've got this gift get together, just like in the healing ministry, and they can help each other to grow, just as the leaders of the group will help them to grow, and encourage each other, because it needs encouragement. You know, some people need to be calmed down on the prophecy field. Probably more people need to be encouraged and lifted up, because it's not an easy gift. Probably more people need to be encouraged. Some people, pray, some people fail by excess in the field of prophecy. Probably more people fail by uh, you know, going under, not doing what God wants. I want to say a few words now about how prophecy, I'm using it in the wide sense of the word, may come to someone. Maybe in a prayer meeting, or it may be elsewhere. Sometimes it comes to people dramatically, but more often not. Some people can feel their whole body's warm or their body's tingling or something like that. Right? If they do, that's the way God's leading them. I'm talking about authentic prophecy. But more often, more often, it's something much less dramatic than that. What someone can find is that some words or a picture or something begins to come into their mind. 
They just feel a sort of nudge from God and just some sort of words or picture comes into their mind. Now if that happens, it's a good thing to, to pray something like this. God, if this is not of you, please take it away. And if, if, if it is of you, strengthen it. And if you play like that, sometimes you often find that what you thought was perhaps something just vanishes, or you might find it persists and grows stronger. And if it persists or grows stronger, well, ask God if he wants you to give it out then, at that moment. Now, we should need to be sensitive there, because God can give something some, to some, an idea to someone, but not to be given out then, or indeed ever. He wouldn't give it not to be made use of. But for instance, he might give it so that you will confirm someone else. So the fact that the Lord shows you something doesn't mean it's got to come out straight away. For instance, you might be counselling someone and God shows you something. He may want you to know about that. But if you came out with it at the wrong moment, that could be disastrous. You might be seeing someone and counselling them and God's shown you something and you actually might put in the form of a question and the person couldn't take it. Maybe they'll be able to take it in six weeks' time, but not yet. So you've got to be sensitive, but because God shows you something, doesn't mean he necessarily wants you to blurt it out immediately, or even ever. He may show you something just for your prayers. Just for your prayers. So we need to be sensitive about that. If you begin to get these things, it can be good to consult some of the leaders of the meeting. You could say, you know, well, you know, I didn't say anything, but I, you know, I was beginning to feel that, and then, then someone else came out in that same direction. You know, it sometimes can be good doing that way. And quite often in a prayer meeting, somebody will get something, and God will show you the beginning bit, but he won't show you the end, and then you have to step out in faith, and that's not very easy. In fact, I think much prophecy is like that. And sometimes in a prayer meeting, God will give you the first bit, and then you just have to step out in faith. And the rest will come when you step out in faith, but it doesn't come before you start. So that's a bit walking on the water. And obviously, one of the great things we need to do is to learn to listen more to God. Learn to listen more. Learn to hear his voice. And for prophecies which come to people outside prayer meetings, either messages or prophecies or visions, it's good to write them down. Incidentally, it's good for all of us to have a spiritual journal. But particularly things like this, write them down while it's fresh in your mind, and then go and refer it to a spiritual counsellor, maybe a priest, maybe a leader of the prayer meeting, some other suitable person. But write it down and refer it to others. And another thing to say about prophecy, one's got to be willing to be a fool for Christ's sake. Uh, you know, you feel an awful fool in saying something. And you think, well, perhaps I'm going to be wrong, and what will they think, and I'm going to make a mistake, and they used to think I was a reasonably balanced chap, and all that sort of thing, you see. You need, you need a certain amount of willingness to be a fool for Christ's sake, as in exercising other gifts of the Spirit. In giving out prophecies, I think it's often or usually better to say, I think God is saying this, rather than to say, thus says the Lord. I'm not saying the second formula is always wrong, but it can be more humble and often to sort of say, I think God is saying this. Um, because, you see, there's no infallibility about any of these things. 
Beware of the person who thinks they have an infallible hotline to God. That's the person to be dangerous. It can be very dangerous, that sort of thing. Beware of somebody who thinks that just on their own they've got the hotline to God and they're infallible. You know, the Pope's infallible under certain special conditions, very limited conditions, but prophets in prayer groups aren't. Now, the importance of, pro of protecting people, the importance of protecting people in prayer groups from sort of words of knowledge from unsuitable people. You see, supposing there's somebody in this prayer group and someone comes up to them and says, oh yes, I have a gift of prophecy, the Lord shows me things, and the Lord wants you to go to the Eskimos as a missionary. So you give up, give in your notice and you sell up your flat and you get out there, and then you find that in fact, perhaps he was wrong. <laughs> so, and, you know, so you shouldn't allow, we shouldn't allow people in prayer meetings, we shouldn't allow people like that in prayer meetings to go around saying things to people. People we don't know, people whose gift isn't tested, you know, we should be not allowed to go around to, above all to individuals and saying all sorts of strange things. It can be very dangerous, very dangerous, you know, can put all sorts of ideas into their mind. You're certainly going to marry a man called Tony, you see, and then you could refuse a dozen other people and find that no Tony materialised. All sorts of things can go wrong. Bizarre. So, and we have a duty to protect people. And I've been in prayer meetings where it wasn't very easy. And you know, we, I remember one man, not a Catholic, in, in our Cotfosters thing, and he started off with, somebody here tonight and God is saying this. And in fact, we didn't stop him on the spot. I might next time, but it's, fortunately he didn't say to this person or that person. And, uh, but we went up to him immediately and said we would ask you not to prophesy in future here. Immediately. And indeed, I had to do that not very long ago with someone. You know, somebody came in, and we'd never seen him at the prayer meeting, and not a Catholic, and you know, he gave out a long singing times and then a long interpretation. And you know, I wasn't very happy, so I went up to him afterwards, and he said, Brother, can I give you a message from the Lord? I said, Yes, you do. I was quite happy to have it for myself, you see. And I forget what the first message was. Oh, yes, I'd said something about, you know, I forget about the discipline of the prayer meeting, you see. So, uh, the first word was about the freedom of the Spirit. And then he said, Brother, can I give you another word? I said, yes, he said. And I called no one on earth, Father. <laughs> you see? So then we said to him, Brother, next time he came back, we said, I went up to him right at the beginning of the prayer meeting, before he said anything. I just walked, he came in late, and I walked right back thing, and I said, Brother, we would ask you not to prophesy in this prayer meeting, and not to give out words of knowledge to anybody, because we don't know you. And if you don't want to accept that, would you please leave? You've got to be absolutely firm. Because we have a the duty to protect people. But having said that, you know, I don't want to end on a negative tone. Because I'm sure God is wanting to raise up more authentic gifts of prophecy in our prayer meetings and in the church as a whole. I'm sure of that. And so we should be praying. If you don't have the exercise of prophecy in your prayer group, pray that God may raise up this gift there. Indeed, pray for, if you already have, pray for the people who exercise this difficult gift, that they may be led by the light and love of your, the Spirit. Pray that you will raise up prophets in the whole church. And incidentally, I think in, I think in the present Pope we have a man who really is a prophet. You know, as he goes around the world preaching the gospel and, and asking for justice and Announcing lots of things which need to be denounced, you know. You know, I, I think, you know, we have a sort of prophetic figure in the Pope, haven't we? I think so.
something to thank God for. Pray for his journey into Canada. So, but I'm sure, he, you know, I'm sure that God wants this gift to become more common in prayer groups and, and, and then over in the parishes, Christian communities. So I think that God is already renewing his church in a way that just as it was so normal in the New, New Testament church that they were led by prophecy, I think we're going to be led more and more by prophecy. But with the safeguards which we've mentioned in, in, and the discipline and the honour. Well, I think that's enough and more than enough. But uh, are there any questions? Should we have a moment's silence and then just I'll ask you if there any questions? Is that all right, Tony? Did everybody hear that? It would be something which keeps coming back in the prophecy, a prophecy in the mind, in the mind yes. Um, yes, but it, it, it needn't necessarily be of all that long duration. I think if people you know, get more used to this gift, they'll, they'll, they'll be quicker in knowing themselves whether there's something from God to give out. We had a, we had a, a very beautiful prophecy last week in Cockfosters when Colin Urquhart was there. And um, a man said, for the last ten minutes, he said, I keep getting this picture, and he gave it, he said, ten minutes. And Colin said afterwards, well, that seemed to sum up the whole evening in a way. You know. But uh, one hasn't always got to wait ten minutes. I mean, if you do sometimes, you know, the prayer meeting might be over, or you've missed the, missed the thing. I think people will learn. Uh, but it, uh, obviously, not the first idea which comes into the mind, certainly not. You know, you need to start testing it yourself. As I said, Lord, Take this away if it's not of you. Lord, if it is of you, strengthen it, make it come out and, and leave it. And you need a certain amount of time for that. You mentioned once or twice, uh, Bessie, using the gift of prophecy in the parish situation. How would you see that in actual practice? Because I would feel that if you were at a, an ordinary meeting, not a, a prayer meeting, and you mentioned the word prophecy, I think people would get a very wrong impression of what you <laughs> well, so what, what I think is going to happen is, you see, I think what God is wanting to do in the charismatic renewal is not to build up sort of charismatic prayer groups alongside parishes as a sort of ultimate aim. But I think what's ultimately going to happen is that the parish as a whole will be renewed. I mean, there are one or two Anglican parishes, you know, where you know, these sort of gifts are sort of right into the fabric of the whole parish community. So what I meant, that's what I really meant by that. Just how you would exercise that gift in a situation which, you know, it's not yet, sort of... I think you have to be rather careful, as you said. Uh, but you see, that, that you see, nevertheless, in a, say it might be a general parish meeting, uh, you know, or a parish council meeting, or perhaps you're in your personal relationship with the clergy, you know, God might seem to be showing you something, and so you can go to the priest and say, well, you don't have to say, God, I'm sure God is saying this, but you say, you know, I've been praying about this situation and it seems it would be better, you know, so you can put it in a way which is a little less shocking. So, if I say, even in that situation, you know. In fact, I'm sure the Holy Spirit's doing a, guiding a lot of people, I mean, you know, people who would, wouldn't consider themselves in any way in the charismatic renewal, who, but who are good Christians, I mean, the Holy Spirit's guiding them quite a lot of, a lot of the time, hopefully, you know, so... So, in fact, they could be exercising sort of guidance of the Spirit, very definitely. I'm glad you said that, because um, um, we have a prayer group, and sometimes it's a little bit 
pray about uh, the Lord showing me something for the prayer group. So I do that. And very often when I'm reading the scriptures, uh, something quite new is shown to me. Now I feel that that is a prophecy for myself mm -hmm. and possibly to share with the prayer group. I think so, yeah. It's quite uh, different to having a prophecy coming at that time. Yes, I think so. I mean, one can be given something before the prayer group when one's praying and thinking about it, and something you share, and that can be absolutely the leading of the Spirit. And that can be, in fact, a much more important sort of leading of the Spirit than something which comes out as an immediate picture or something. Yes, it's very important, yes. And if it fits in, absolutely. what is going on in the group? Absolutely. Um, that yeah. probably yes. is not something that just comes, but uh, really fits in and can be a... a absolutely. I mean, I, a reading of scripture or something can be, have a very prophetic impact. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Very much. And thanks for that. I think that's an important point. Mm. Well, I think I understand what you meant about uh, something coming from the devil. I mean, if it's something which has a result which is negative, um, you would need to find out about it, or it would be ruin others. Uh, well, I'm not an expert in this field, but I mean, I, I think if I think the devil protects his own and helps them, and if you've got somebody who's rarely given their life to the devil, I mean, they can sometimes know things which they don't know by ordinary means. And I believe, I haven't studied this thing, I remember hearing that was true of Hitler. And I think Hitler sometimes knew certain military things, you know, had hunches and things, where he was right, but had no ordinary... Which I think the devil probably showed him, you know, I think it probably came from the devil. So people can know things, you know, you know, through demonic means. Somebody's really given themselves to the devil, the devil may show them things. You see, which are true about people or situations. So, of course, the test there would be, I mean, uh, whether something is building up the kingdom, not, just, not only whether it's true, but is it building up the kingdom of God? Or is it building up another kingdom, if it's destructive, if it's not, you know, if its influence is harmful, Anything like that which had a harmful influence, you see, anything which is of God will build up. But anything, any sort of knowledge which tears down, then you, begin, you can begin to wonder where that comes from. Yes, thank you for saying that, because, um, you know, when you attend other denominations, especially Pentecostal, uh, you can feel a lot of bigotry. Um, you know, I've had this the other way around, where they've said to me, uh, we don't want you to minister because you're a Catholic, you see, and whatever I have said is wrong because I'm a Catholic. Yes. And so it hasn't built up, it's caused um, bad feelings, and uh, so whatever they've said or... Knows, yeah, but I, I, I see, that, that's a sort of difficult ecumenical situation, yes. you see. I mean, the state of Christian division is a sinful state of affairs. Yes. And in the sinful state of affairs, you get very prejudiced people on all sides, including very prejudiced Catholics. You know, you can get some Catholics... To, there are some Catholics, the charismatic renewal can't be of God because it started among non-Catholics first, finished. That's, a, that's the position of Archbishop Lefebvre. can't be of God because if it was of God, it would have started among Catholics. You know, the Spirit couldn't be working among them first in that way. So, um, so you, get, you get sometimes people who are very good Christians in the sense of love of God and love of the neighbour, which is the basic thing, but alas have prejudices, whether it's Pentecostal prejudices against Catholics or sometimes Catholic prejudices against Pentecostals. So that wouldn't stop the person being a good Christian sometimes or being used by the Spirit. 
And you see, somebody could be very much used in the spirit in some ways, but wrong in other ways. It's a good point you've realized. Somebody can be very much used in the spirit in some ways, but be wrong in other ways. For instance, you might get a, a Pentecostal minister who might be a, a wonderful Christian in love of God and love of the neighbor, who might have great gifts of healing, but he's very wrong when he says, you shouldn't ask Our Lady to pray for you. You shouldn't pray for the dead. So he says, you can be very right about some things, I'm mistaken about others. So, you've in a situation like that, you must neither say what well, all he says is right, or all he says is wrong. And the ecumenical situation is difficult. Now, that would mean, I think, in an ecumenical situation, one shouldn't normally exercise gifts unless the people there are happy about it. Now, you see, Pentecostals would have very different ideas about the Catholic Church. I mean, at one time, they would have all been 100% anti. anti. One time they'd have all said it's the sort of prostitute of the Book of Revelation, the Catholic Church. They wouldn't have been anti every Catholic, but the Catholic Church. But now, particularly thanks to the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, many Pentecostals are very positive about the, very positive about the Catholic Church. And not all. But you see, just as some Catholics are still very negative about Pentecostals, some are very, Pentecostals are still very negative about our Church. So you've got to be, you've got to be uh, discerning and... and uh, and careful there, tactful. Can you please excuse this? We're due at a pentagon, we're due at an ecumenical service at half past six. Indeed. And if we promise to help, shall we mislead you? Of course, of Thank course. God bless, thanks. What's that? Well, I'm, I'm, and that's, that's probably enough, and people must be helped now. God bless. I think it was felt very much two months ago, and I'm allowed to say that what Don Benedict had to say to us then on the subject of prayer was extremely practical and very helpful in, 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 in that practical way. And um, I feel again that what he's had to say to us on the subject of prophecy is, is practical and down to earth, and we can reflect on it and put it into practice. Could I just say that there's in fact a tape which has come out very well of his last talk on prayer, which is available on the, on the table there, and we hope to have, if it's okay with him, to have this one on tape for the next time on the 14th of October. Um, I think Don Benedict now has to go back um, we have to right. take that fairly quickly to um, Scott Foster, but if anybody would like to be ministered to or would like to stay behind and have, have a look at the books, do please uh, feel free to hang around. Um, so thank you again, Father thank Benedict, and you. hoping to see you all next month. Very grateful for what you say. I could tell you lost faith for 12 years because of another of a prophecy that was given her as a certain mission down the devil and she lost her belief in the sacraments it's only this year thanks to a very wonderful uh, direct retreat was regained it was absolute loss of faith and it was just a prophecy given out by some woman in the faith <laughs> Just going to ask that um, the expectancy is a key word, I think, for that for the prophecy, and that a lot of groups we find that are that we don't expect it, so we won't get it. Um, healing, um, and it's it's not we are uh, we don't err on the too much side. We err on the well, we haven't got it. because people want God. There is also something else in the whole area of evangelism, looking at the church as a whole. 
there's a, there's a new thing happening to the laity. And just maybe it could be Ezekiel 34 and 38 taking place. I prophesy to the pastors and to the leaders. If you do not lead my people, I will not have my people stifled, are the words of Ezekiel. I will take them from you because I will not see them die. And if the church is going to live today, it will be living not through the dynamism, not excluding either the dynamism of priesthood and authorities, but it will come to real life through the dynamism of the laity. And my word, we can't stop you. Because you can't talk against success. You can't talk against numbers. You can't talk against people praying. You haven't a leg to stand on when people gather together in eagerness to share and to pray. You can't be stopped utilizing charismatic gifts. No pastor has that right because it's in the teaching of the church in Vatican II. It's also in the teaching of the popes. And nobody can stop you witnessing. No one. But what they will do, they will look at the results. And when you're winning, us priests will begin to say, must be something in this. I'll, I'll have a look at this. And then we, hopefully, will be converted. <laughs>